strong! Welcome to The Jig Is Up. My name is Darcy. And yesterday we had the opportunity to do a live um, podcast with uh, a whole panel, a group of panelists. And the conversation was about decolonizing Indigenous art. And we're not talking about decolonizing the art itself. What we're talking about is decolonizing uh, the institutions that surround or, or are involved in the art world. And that includes your public governments, like the city of Calgary. That includes um, arts, um, you know, organizations and nonprofits, to galleries, to anything like that. And essentially what, we, what I was trying to get to was, you know, how do we get these organizations and these people to see how they're blocking or being um, gatekeepers against Indigenous art. And it's a tough conversation to fit into an hour. It really is. It, with the number of panelists we had, we could have easily done two hours, and I think it still wouldn't be enough to really dig into some of these issues. But I think we touched on a few issues that, I, you know, for people to maybe explore further if they're involved in those areas of things or if you're involved in a group that's talking about some sort of art or a mural. These are things that you need to sit down with, with Indigenous artists and talk to them, but more importantly, listen to them. And I think that's what's important about this uh, panel discussion is if for people to really, truly listen to the artists. We had uh, some amazing artists on there, and uh, a, few, a couple of them I had not met before, and, and they just blew me away. They're absolutely amazing people. And so... I'm really proud to bring you this, and I really hope that uh, this, for some people, this maybe begins a conversation, and they can delve deeper and deeper into these issues, and we can start to see, uh, you know, less and less colonial attitudes when it comes to Indigenous art. Uh, so, I, once again, I want to thank everybody who organized and volunteered for this event. There was a whole bunch of volunteers, a whole bunch of people organized it. Uh, it was great food. And it was just a lot of fun. So I hope you guys enjoy this uh, conversation or this panel discussion um, on decolonizing Indigenous art. All right, so I just want to welcome everybody to uh, the podcast, to The Jig Is Up. Uh, the Jig Is Up is a Métis-focused podcast uh, dealing with Métis issues, people, culture, politics a lot, uh, and things like that. So we're happy to be here with all these fine panelists to talk about decolonizing the arts. And I just am going to ask the panelists to go through, and we'll start over on this end and work our way across. Just do a, you know, couple minutes intro on who your name and I guess how you're related to the arts world, so <laughs> or in decolonizing. Yeah, go ahead. Okinistuni Danigu Kasum. My name is Tim Fox. I'm originally from the Blood Reserve, and um, I live and work in Calgary. I work for the Calgary Foundation. I, I'm really honored to be on this panel, but I feel like somewhat of an imposter because I'm not really an artist. Um, the work that I do at the Calgary Foundation is focused on systems change. So I'm trying to facilitate a change process uh, in the world of philanthropy and in a sense trying to uh, decolonize uh, what that looks like for charities, what that looks like for donors and volunteers. So that's, I guess, my connection to today. Hi there, my name is Patty Pawn. I'm the president and CEO of Calgary Arts Development, which is the local um, arts council here in Calgary. Um, I am a settler here on, at Mokinstis, and it is my great pleasure to, and honor to call uh, this place my home, uh, the home of the Nitsitapi, and um, yeah. I uh, love my city, I love my community, and I have the great honor of working with artists every day to make this a better place. Hello, my name is Diana Frost. I'm um, an Algonquin Métis, originally from Quebec, and um, I am the founder of a social enterprise called Coloring It Forward. I make a series of uh, indigenous coloring books with artists and elders. And we're trying to make books that share all the beautiful and wonderful things that we should learn from our elders um, in efforts to try and um, help uh, bring about reconciliation from an art perspective. And I'm very honored to be asked to be on this panel. Thank you. 
my name is Ryan Jason Allen Willard. Uh, I am from the Siksika Nation. We are part of the Blackfoot Confederacy. And uh, I am an artist, and I work in many mediums. I write stories, I do animations, uh, I make paintings, murals, performances. I'm sure there's a few other things on the list that I haven't um, listed, but these are this is what I do. Uh, I'm heavily involved in the community, and uh, I want to say thank you for uh, sitting to listen to us. Mm. Hello, my name is uh, Caleb Teak Dan. I'm a local artist here in Calgary from the Blood Tribe. <laughs> I was a local artist uh, from here in Calgary. I'm from the Blood Tribe, Southern Alberta. I uh, was raised here mainly in the city. I became an artist. Uh, um, I guess I started right out of high school. Um, now I work mainly in the community and I do a lot of uh, um, work through the Calgary Stampede and Basically, it's an honor to be doing what I love to do. Um, it was a struggle to get to where I'm at, but uh, it's uh, nice to be a living, working artist. Thanks. Hi, my name is Troy Patnode. Um, my father's from the Métis Nation. My mother, she's from British ancestry. And uh, I, my day-to-day -day job is very similar to Tim's job, um, although I work at Fort Calgary doing, doing a very similar sort of job to Tim's. And um, I came into that work through art in a little bit of a roundabout sort of way because um, for the last, you know, uh, near 20 years of my life, um, I'm actually an art historian. My mom's an artist. I grew up with art. My, um, and um, my research projects for various degrees in school were all actually about decolonizing the arts in Canada. And my last project specifically was about rewriting the master narrative of art in an indigenously oriented way. Thank you. All right, well, I want to thank everybody for being here. Um, so I wanted to start off and just kind of establish what, uh, what is colonization of indigenous art uh, from the different perspectives, so I don't know who wants to jump in first on that, but what does it mean when we talk about colonization of art? What does that look like? We'll start maybe at the end if you've wrote papers on them. <laughs> we'll start with you. Oh no, I thought we were going to start with Tim again and work this way. <laughs> oh gee, well of course that's a really big question, uh, and this is one of those questions that, uh, you know, I I probably would answer that differently today than I did four years ago and if you ask me that same question next week or four years from now I might answer yeah. it a little bit differently but uh, for me sorry decolonizing the arts right that was the question yeah what is that? well what it, what does it mean when we say colonization of indigenous ah. art how yeah. are they colonized is it structures is it attitudes uh, uh, what, what, what is that really like what are we decolonizing what does that sure. mean for, for me, the way I would answer that, uh, it's, there's definitely structures in place. Um, I might take those words, structures, attitudes, and say, put it this way, that there's structures in place. Sometimes we can't always see them or we're not always aware of them, but there's very much structures in place that keep this thing we called colonization alive. And um, if we think of it like a big boulder, a huge boulder, say, uh, the size of Canada, uh, with indigenous peoples under this boulder and non-indigenous people standing on top of the boulder. It's kind of like that. And these structures, so if you're standing on top of the boulder, you think your feet are on the ground. And physically, when you walk through the world, you know, they, they might be, but your institutions, your minds, your, your beliefs, your values, the things you've been taught, your language, are actually all standing on this boulder. They're not on the ground here. And that boulder is, is uh, you know, on the backs of the indigenous peoples here. And, um, uh, you know, I think of it that way. And so the arts come into that because uh, uh, it's, um, you know, one of, the, one of the expressions or one of the symptoms of this big boulder in Canada on the backs of indigenous peoples. Uh, you know, it happens in the art world where the, um, the, um, 
you know, so things like uh, exclusion of indigenous artists for a long time from art exhibitions and things like that. That's just a symptom of a, of a much, much larger and much more deeply ingrained and embedded, you know, problem that, uh, that we might call colonization. That's just one symptom of it. So the art world's part of it, but it's much, much bigger than that. Thank you. And I think Tim has a response to that too. Yeah, I was just going to say that I think when I think of the arts, I think of many different things. And I think uh, lately I have been learning that the arts can be used for different tools. It could be used for education. It's so much more than just entertainment. And I've come to learn that over the, the, the past few years. And so I think, I think considering that, considering arts as education, arts as advocacy, arts as all of these other things, I feel like it reminds me of a story. So last year in 2017, I attended a presentation by Leroy Little Bear. And in this presentation, Leroy Little Bear was talking about Canada 150. And he said that he was asked, so Leroy Little Bear is from the Blackfoot Confederacy. He's from the Blood Tribe. He's an elder, he's an educator. He works at the University of Lethbridge. And he was asked last year if he would be an ambassador of Canada 150. And so doing the work that he does, which is similar to mine and Troy's, it's systems change within the post-secondary sector, within the education sector. When he was asked to be an ambassador of Canada 150, he struggled with that at first. And he said, you know, Canada 150 um, is somewhat of a point of contention for the, for the indigenous community because we have been impacted so negatively over the past 150 years. And he told them, if, if I'm an ambassador um, of Canada 150, I'm going to use that platform to tell that untold story, to tell that narrative, that hard, um, that hard piece of the history, um, that Canadian history from an indigenous perspective. And they were okay with that. So he um, went on to use his platform to kind of be that voice for the indigenous community and be that voice for, for change. And he, he said this last year. He said... He was talking about origin stories, and he was specifically talking about the origin story of Canada. And Leroy Little Bear said, every society in one way or another lays claim to a territory. Within the claimed territory, a culture arises from the mutual relationship with the land. A culture consists of paradigmic concepts, values, and customs. Paradigms are the tacit infrastructures members of a society utilize for their beliefs, behavior, and relationship. Every society through its mutual relationship with the land develops icons, symbols, and images that serve as repositories for the paradigms, values, customs, ceremonies, stories, songs, and beliefs of the people. These in turn are embodied into the very being of the people. And so he went on to um, parallel and connect that origin story with the origin story of Canada and how Canada is facing an identity crisis because you know, we have the symbolic maple leaf, we have the Canadian flag, we have the Canadian anthem, but all of those things are missing values, beliefs, and customs from the original people that were here on Turtle Island. And so he, so when I think about colonization of arts or colonization of anything, I think that there is a missing narrative to, to all of these stories, specifically when it comes to the arts. I have some um, friends and relatives who are performers and consider themselves artists, they are very concerned about our stories, our origin stories, and who's telling our origin stories. And even in academia, I think there are books written by professors and academics about indigenous history. So I think people just need to be aware of who's telling these stories. Is it someone from a settler background? Even if it's from a post-secondary level, you can learn from books, but um, from which perspective are you learning from? And you can learn, you can use art as education, but who's telling the story? And is it, is it the voice of the people? I think too often it's, um, we're learning from, we're learning that history, but from uh, a different perspective, someone who doesn't have that lived experience. And, and then we're missing the values, the beliefs of, of that origin story. To me, that's what land acknowledgement is. It's so much more than just paying tribute to the people of that territory. It's, um, it's kind of t taking a deeper dive into that. Awesome. And then from the, I guess from the artists on the panel here, um, when you guys are, you know, creating art and you're doing, and you're doing your thing, like do you, how do you guys come across or, or do you have examples of times or systems where 
you're not your art is I guess blocked or be, because you're not is it not mainstream enough or or how have you kind of faced that barrier of of I guess colonization? I be, um, be, I grew up in the city my whole life. Um, I used to go visit my grandparents a lot. They told me a lot of the stories um, um, about the animals, about the past, um, before the white man came, and when the white man came. So I've heard horror stories, I've heard um, beautiful stories. Uh, through art, I, um, I noticed in the beginning, when I first started out here in Calgary, there wasn't a lot of interest or people just didn't uh, understand or have the knowledge of the Aboriginal culture. So it was a struggle to be an Aboriginal artist. And that was 25 years ago. Um, I see the difference now uh, through doing, like telling the stories of um, our people through my artwork, um, about the animals, about the past. And uh, it's almost uh, opened their eyes to um, our culture, um, our spirituality. Um, like I said in the beginning, it was a struggle being an artist because I think there wasn't uh, there wasn't that understanding. Um, there was a lot of uh, just the stereotypes that um, they believed in. So I had a lot of doors slammed in my face in the beginning, and now those doors have opened up, and it it's, has changed quite a bit. So um, I'm a, be, I'm able to make a living as an artist now than I wasn't before. And, wow. uh, but being able to tell the stories and for them to more understand than they did before, um, I think helped my career. And it's also helping a lot of the other artists that are telling similar stories, so. Okay. Um, so I guess the, the next part of, of expanding on that is how um, we talk about decolonization. Is, is appropriation of art kind of an extension of that? Is it a part of that? Um, and how does, because I, I hear a lot of people say, well, I'm, I'm inspired by this art, so I go do it, and it's very similar, and it's almost copying. So where is that boundary, I guess? Is, is appropriation part of that? Go ahead. <clears throat> so um, there's a difference between uh, two styles of artwork. There's native artwork, and there's contemporary native artwork. Uh, native artwork was a ceremonial artwork that expressed uh, what societies you were a part of, uh, what bundles you carried, what pipes you carried, uh, if you went through great famine, great war, uh, family logos, symbols. These were, these were important things that, uh, that was passed down to our, our people and also it expressed the, te the teachings that we carried as individuals and that what we also gave. Um, and then um, a lot of these teachings were lost, and uh, and then uh, we have a lot of indigenous people that are are really reaching out to what we used to be. So we we make contemporary native artwork, which expresses what we used to be, and we paint a lot about what the past is. And then we get we get stuck into a genre of uh, I given it a nickname. I call it stampede art. And it's when you are, um, in order to make a buck, you have to paint what people want. You have to paint what uh, is expected uh, of us to paint. And so that that's contemporary Native artwork. But traditional Native artwork is that, is, is, is something that's been passed down. And there's a man in in the Yukon that is a prime example of this. He's a, a, a Napi Guan, which means white man in our language, and his name is Brian Walker. And he studied, studied under the elders and got all the stories and all the rights passed down to him. And he is now one of the main artists that does all the copper work for the Tlingit people in the Yukon. So it's not based on your skin color. It's not based on where you come from. It's based on the rights and the teachings that you have. If you do not have the rights, you do not have the teachings, you should not be doing it. It's not based on being Blackfoot. It's not based on being Cree. If you carry the teachings, you have the right to do it. And that's traditional native art. There's um, indigenous people in BC that uh, paint um, Haida Gwaii artwork or West Coast style artwork, 
But a lot of that you have to have the rights passed down to you. And a lot of these people are just like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm a good painter. I'll, I'll paint West Coast art. But there's some people that are getting kicked off their tribes for painting West Coast artwork without having the rights to do that. These are things that get passed down. It's like running a sweat lodge. You can't pour on the rocks unless you have the rights to pour. It's, it's just the way it is. You need, to, you need to do the footwork. You need to earn the rights to do this stuff. It's not based on your skin color. It's about what you do and what you put into it. Wonderful. Anybody else have any, anything to add to that? I think that was amazing. Um, so when, I guess maybe for people that are maybe on, maybe on the policy side of things, how, does, how do you go through systems that are already in place and try to figure out how to decolonize those? Is there, is there processes that are ongoing in, within whatever organization you're with to do that? Um, and maybe just talk a little bit about that. Uh, sure. So um, I think I, I can... I'll speak predominantly from my personal experience with Calgary Arts Development, but knowing that we work with a number of organizations throughout the city structure, so our civic partners like Economic Development, Tourism Development, the City of Calgary's Public Art Program, it's not one we run, but we certainly are aware of, and, and I have an opinion. Um, um, so. I think about this systems change, it's true, and, and certainly what Tim shared earlier around what constitutes colonizing a system. You know, I guess from my perspective, it's about when a dominant culture imposes its tradition, its assumptions upon someone else's. So in this case, artwork. And so when, you know, you, um, Calgary Arts Development in the last couple of years, whenever we have a public event, we always do a land acknowledgement. Not because we're supposed to. And as, we've, as I have delivered that land acknowledgement over time, one of the things that I've shared with a predominantly non-Indigenous community is when I say that, I say it because it reminds me that on this place, the presence of arts and culture has been here for thousands and thousands of years, 12,000 years that we know of, documented, and quite likely 15,000 years or more. So as, the, as this place's local arts council, where I am a champion for the arts, I am a champion for the arts that have been present here for 12,000 years, not for 150. And I would say that the system I have come into acknowledges the presence of arts here for 150 years. And, the, and, and its meaning is rooted in 150 years. So all of the things that we just heard about don't even come into our consideration. So we create a system that's a bit uninformed, really, that isn't taking into account the learning that could happen if you look at millennia of arts and cultural experiences that takes into account the geographic place we are in, the influences that, that Mother Nature has provided for us, um, the um, uh, coming together, the intercultural practices, imposed or otherwise, that have been created in this last 150, well, maybe 300 years, if you think about other parts of, of, of Canada. Um, so, that's the starting point for us when I think about this system that we, are, we wish to work in, that we aspire into. And so when you set those as your targets, as opposed to it's all got to be apples to apples, I got to be able to compare artists so I know I can justify why I gave that one a grant and not this one a grant, that it's um, not a competition, but that you get to talk about your practice, but I'm going to impose my assumptions about what art is, and then it gets worse when I say what good art is. So I need, I want for us to expand that. And so that means asking, that means listening. That means being present and hearing. Um, that, doesn't, that means having humility. That doesn't mean having judgment and imposing your view. It's, so that's a really different context for us these days. Mm -hmm. Anybody else want to add to that? Or? 
No? Okay. So we, we had some, uh, I guess in the past year or two years, we've had some great city uh, news about art and things like that in case anybody hasn't read the newspapers. Um, but the public art is really coming to scrutiny mm -hmm. from the city of Calgary. And I think in general, the city of Calgary's um, view in, in all departments of indigenous art, indigenous uh, inclusion, uh, from your guys' experience, is this starting to, are they starting to look at improving it? Has it is it starting to improve? Is it like, a, I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so about, I guess a year and a half ago, I met Mayor Nenchi and I said to him, uh, how come we don't have more native artwork in our city? And he was, he kind of was surprised and he handed me a card for one of his public arts people. And uh, ever, I've been watching and, and I'm happy to say that uh, there is some movement. Um, so uh, we are, well, Calum and I and a bunch of other teams of artists are applying for some of the murals um, that are planned for the new City of Calgary Public Library. And uh, they're looking for three murals uh, that represent the Treaty 7 nations. Uh, so I'm happy to say that that's at least one opportunity. Now, one of the things that I'm concerned with is, um, are there people on the, the um, curation team that are indigenous or have. And one of the issues I think as well as what was Ryan was mentioning was, um, you know, what's the preparation uh, of these people um, for, for looking at this artwork? And I mean, if they're looking for art that's traditional, but they are not, uh, they haven't been, you know, working under elders or they haven't been, uh, you know, in the traditions, um, and they've just gone to university and have some degrees, you know, how does that impact their, their selection? How does that impact their assessment of, of the piece? And, uh, you know, also, also I think it's a matter of who's look, gonna look at the pieces and, 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 you know, how is that gonna impact what pieces are chosen? So uh, when I was younger, I remember being in school and uh, when they when they would teach teach us about our, our people, it was very basic. We were uh, nomadic people. We hunted buffalo and we lived in teepees, and and there wasn't really much to it. Uh, I I really didn't know much about residential schools. I actually didn't know anything about it. Uh, I didn't know about any of this stuff. And then when I was uh, eighteen, nineteen, I I started to. Um, really sit down with the elders and and learn their stories and uh, for a good year I, I listened to a lot of a lot of the stories of the what would what happened in the residential schools and I started learning about colonialism and and its impact on on our people and um, it, uh, it built a fire within me I was I was angry at uh, at the white people but for once I was kind of happy with being native um, and so I was upset that they didn't teach people uh, in the schools about this. And I have been given the honor to to be painting in schools these days. And, and so I've been painting a, at a couple of schools, painting their murals. And I, I go in and I, I give teachings to the to the youth. But while I had been in there, this is elementary schools and they're in there and they're teaching the kids about residential schools and elementary schools. And I remember when I was about 18 or 19 years old and I was sitting there and I was sitting with my friends and I'd be like, wow, one day they'll be, they'll be teaching uh, residential schools, at least in the high schools. I said, I never in the, element, in the elementary schools. It's too much of a, it's a very deep, deep um, thing to bring into the schools. This is very, very hard maybe for the kids to learn. But uh, when I went in there and I, I seen all of the art all over the walls and all the, all the things that were made, it was, it, it, it almost made me want to cry because I, I had never, I would never have expected this. It was such a surprise to me to see that the schools are actually doing that 
and and that the fact that they're bringing me in to 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 smudge with them and to pray with them and to to teach teach them our ways and so this 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 i i i thought was amazing because you know it's a long time ago we would never have been able to do that and and to be able to go into the schools and do this and for them to be teaching the kids about residential schools and elementary schools to me that's 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 a huge step i know it might not be to some people but to me it was huge and so i do see it i do see things changing might not be overnight personally i would like to see us not driving cars and hunting buffalo and living off the land but me i i'm a dreamer it's that's never going to happen in my time but that's what i would like to happen but it's beautiful to be seeing that in the schools so two things come to my mind when i think of the city of calgary and public arts and all that kind of stuff and the first thing is clarity and the second thing is policy. Because I think if the city of Calgary is commissioning an art piece and they are asking for it to be representative of the indigenous people of that territory, they have to be really clear about that. And if they are being really clear about that, then they have to create a policy. I would call a policy from an indigenous paradigm of thought and practice a relationship. They have to build some relationships with indigenous communities. Because if they're clear about an art piece wanting, wanting to be reflective of the Blackfoot Confederacy, Treaty 7 territory, then they should be commissioning uh, an artist from that community. Right now, as I understand it, the current policy that exists is you, they, they commission a piece of art and there, there's a call out and anyone can apply to that. And so if a non-Indigenous settler artist comes forward, does an art piece that's re reflective of the Blackfoot Confederacy, then that's going to be questioned by the community. And it's just another example of what Patty was talking about when they're imposing their interpretation about who we are. And oftentimes it's a misinterpretation because they don't know the relationship to the land from, from that perspective. So when it comes to public art and art pieces, I, I feel like there is room to have both um, approaches. Art pieces should be commissioned for the broader community and, and artists from all over. But if you are expecting something to be representative of the indigenous people of that territory, then you need to create a separate relationship or a separate means of carrying that out. So a policy, and it should involve consultation with elders and community members to guide that process, maybe to be a part of that selection committee, maybe even to work with the artist on some concepts, because um, you run the risk of um, misinterpretation. And then I think we're just scratching the surface when it comes to a truth-telling movement, because then you, you see this outcry from the Blackfoot community saying this is wrong, and we, we don't agree with this and who did, you know, but then the broader society has no idea where that uproar is coming because they just, they don't know the legacy of loss, the legacy of misinterpretation that this community has been impacted by. I think one of the things that, um, that I see a lot is that we talk about, you know, they put out these bids for art. Um, and they don't specify indigenous, but I think the, the, the true problem is is that uh, in the case with the, the one on the west side of the city there is um, without indigenous input, it, it actually looks like something very negative within the indigenous community. So to me, it is, it is almost like even if you're not looking for indigenous art, it has to be something, there has to be people involved that would understand those traditions and say, well, this is what that looks like. So I don't really think that's a good idea. And, um, like a check and balance. And to me, that's what decolonizing would be, is if we're going to be partners on this land, then we should be partners on things like that, where you get the decision to make like that. Um, so that's my, that's, I guess that's where I, I'm at with that. Um, so what, I know there's a lot of nonprofits in the, in the world, and there's, you know, private corporations, but in the nonprofit world, I think, because nonprofits tend to do um, good things within the community, I think they think, oh, and well, we're good, so... You know, but I, I find a lot of them, that's where a lot of the decolonization really needs to happen, 
Um, I find the city of Calgary and, and governments, it, it, it's kind of a more public and more aware that oh, they need to decolonize, but I think there's a lot of decolonizing that needs to happen in the nonprofits. So I don't know if you guys um, have any input on that as far as you know grants or, or just events like, like this one <laughs> that, that we can maybe bring yeah. decolonizing into their realm. I feel like I feel like I'm expected to answer that. Wait, you gotta leave early, so we'll get yeah. you in first. Um, so, working at the Calgary Foundation, we support a lot of charities and not a lot of not-for-profits. So I have this kind of lens of this landscape of what's going on, and I feel like it's these grassroots organizations who are leading this this decolonization process because they are kind of uh, taking this journey. I think I don't think that re the responsibility of decolonization should belong to one sector. I don't think it should belong to the not-for-profit sector, the justice system, education, or human rights. I think it's a basic responsibility for everyone in society to um, take on this work and this responsibility. But I, but I do believe that the, the grassroots uh, organizations are playing a huge role in the journey that they are taking in terms of truth-telling, um, they are incorporating a lot of that historical context. We understand the deficit statistics, so not-for-profits um, work with statistics. That's the reason why they exist, to respond to a need. For the indigenous community, we realize where the deficit statistics come from, while well, I realize, and we hear about them, high numbers of indigenous people in the justice system, traditionally low high school graduation rates, and there's all of these deficits that we hear about, but we never take the time to understand where those deficits come from. And they come from somewhere, this shared history that we have with, uh, with Canada. And I think not-for-profits are taking a step in scratching the surface behind that. And it's a hard thing to do, this truth-telling movement. But that's the first phase that's uh, highlighted out of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and even the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples Report and UNDRIP. It calls for everyone to work together, but you have to incorporate an element of truth-telling to understand why those deficits exist in the first place. I feel like from my perspective in the philanthropic world, I'm seeing that a lot from um, grassroots movements more so, and I do see it, hear it publicly from other levels of government, but I'm not too sure that they're taking the deep dives as much as the, the charitable sector is taking. Yeah, I think, um, again, I work primarily with the not-for-profit arts community and with individual artists. So um, uh, part of what we try to do is be an example, as well as I know I have a big hammer, which is you don't get my grant if you don't do these things. And so um, I, it's about trying to find the balance, I think, in that. And you know, as I said earlier, around some of these systems that we have in place, they've been around for a long time. And sometimes, for those who are the leaders, they come from a dominant culture pre predominantly, right? Mm -hmm. So you sometimes don't know what it is that you don't know. And if I'm going to ask you to think about 15,000 years and not 150 years, that's a whole lot of learning you got to do. So. Um, I think we have a good friend to our organization, Hal Eagletail from the Sotina Nation, and he says, I don't like the word reconciliation, I like the word reconciliation. And so when I think about that for my organization, I think about, okay, so on the one hand, we can be observers, I see a, a kind of landscape, I can raise issues where maybe organizations aren't um, undertaking that learning and that and, and that process, um, but also then I have these other tools at my uh, access at my uh, um, discretion to use to try and encourage and incent. Right, I, I want to be part of the solution. Like when I say, you know, if I see an organization that doesn't have a relationship with Indigenous communities, is there a way we can help foster that? Is there a way I can be more than an ally, but actually a bit of an accomplice? with um, First Nations to build those bridges. So I think that's something that not-for-profits do well. Mm -hmm. Yes? No? Okay. Um, so I guess uh, before, we're gonna open it up if you guys have questions. We have a mic here, we can come around if you want. Um, just let us know. But I guess I, some of the last things I wanna, I wanna get to, I, really, I guess, is from the, the artist's perspective, um, what, 
What do you think, uh, you know, when you're going through your daily life, where are areas that you see, I guess, stumbling blocks where people are hooked on this colonization or, or there's policies in place that, you know, don't allow for Indigenous arts to be as prolific as it should be or, or as open as it should be? Do you still come across that or is it, um, are, is, are those barriers still there? Um, I've... I'm trying to, as I, I think I'd mentioned before, I'm trying to submit some proposals for the, the new murals at the library, and I'm finding sometimes it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit, I was surprised to not get the reaction from my artist friends that I had expected. I didn't get a lot of uh, responses, and I think part of it was the complexity of the application process that artists need to you know, submit in order to be able to even qualify to be considered um, is, is, I think it was a little bit daunting, maybe. I'm, a, I'm, I'm kind of making an assumption. It was a bit daunting. Um, and then when I did get responses and people started to send me information, it was just, um, you know, it, I guess I guess there's a perhaps there's a difference in when you're you've been uh, an artist trained at a university and they they, t they tell you you have to as you do art you have to follow this process to document it you have to take pictures like this and you have to get the person's reference and all this stuff and a lot of times we're finding it hard to get those things in retrospect you know because they don't have good pictures sometimes of the murals or the artwork that they have made in the past. And I'm finding that the process for applying um, to get some of these grants sometimes is restrictive. And the artists are having a hard time um, submitting what is required to even apply. Do you guys see those? Yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, uh, with those ap applications, uh, they're, usually, they're usually wanting to, to know that we're able to handle a large sum of money and, and spend it right and that they're going to get the job done. So they they want all the requirements and they they want they want the backup of it and they want to know that you can handle all that money, and I was looking into it and and they don't really teach you that in the schools. It's kind of like once you get out, you you just start applying for it and you 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 just keep getting better and better at it, and so it's something that you gotta you gotta learn for yourself. But yeah, I understand being. Aboriginal, I'm a very, I consider myself somewhat of a guerrilla artist, so I've got a lot of the nice jobs and things that are good for a resume, but I wasn't, I'm not the, the best at throwing it together in a professional way. So, it, so I've had a lot of people, you know, thank God I've, I've got many friends in the art community that are constantly making applications and stuff. But mind you not, there's not a lot of indigenous people out there that have my hookups. And so I, I, I feel for them and I, I feel that, I feel, yeah, the application is a bit a bit hard because there's there's a lot of beautiful indigenous artists out there that that should have their art showcased. And, and the only reason they're not getting these jobs is because they don't have... They don't have the experience to, to apply for it, and they have the will to do the art, but they don't have the experience to, to you know, impress the callers. I call them the callers, or the people making the decisions, the ones that are handing over the checks. So I, I do, I find it a little bit hard. I would think it would be great if we, if the, if, if the community organized, like, some sort of, um, place where artists can go and, and, and get the help for that so that they can submit that. Because, you know, a lot, of, a lot of Indigenous artists come from a very, sometimes, you know, we, we come from a hard background. It's not all Native people lived a hard life, but the ones that I, I've been around have, and, and, and this one has. So it's, it's kind of, I, I find it hard to be legit sometimes. And, Thank God I have the help to do it. I just, uh, yeah. Galen, did you have something to add to that? Or? Yeah. Um, I've been an artist for 25 years in the city. Um, I guess it was a struggle to, I, I applied for a lot of um, grants in the beginning and got turned down, um, probably because, I don't know, maybe I, I find that now I, I just got a grant and was accepted and, um, 
um, I utilized it for products and for my printing costs and things like that. But uh, before I, I, I had to almost get well known before I got that grant. So it was in the beginning, it was like they just, I always got denied. And um, now that I'm kind of making waves in the art world and being recognized, I got the grant, no problem. So I find that there should be some kind of placement for artists to get, I guess, uh, the help with their grants because a lot of them, like Ryan said, they're just had hard lives. They're just coming out of school or whatever, and they don't know have a clue that how hard these, uh, how hard, how tough it is to get a grant or to get approved for a grant. So. Um, like I said, I've been approved and I've got more stuff on the go, but uh, it, it, before I could get anything, I had to get my foot in the door, so. Well, I guess that leads to, to another question I had when you guys are talking about these applications is, um, you know, like for, it, traditionally, I think artists, you know, you get your work put in a gallery, you do shows like that. Is that something that is available to Indigenous artists? Because I know when I go to most art galleries, I don't see any Indigenous art. And so I don't know if, if that's, you know. Well, again, the thing is, um, I think before I got into a lot of the galleries that I'm in now, I had to get my name out there first, right? So it was, yeah. for, it's a struggle for up-and-coming artists uh, to get their work out because uh, they don't know how to approach the galleries. And, yeah. um, and you have to have a body of work, which they don't know how to put together a body of work or things like that. So it's, uh, it's, it's a struggle for them, for sure. Yeah. Uh, when I first started my uh, coloring book thing, I went into one of the uh, the big art galleries in in town here, and uh, the own I talked with the owner, and the owner said that uh, he didn't have a lot of indigenous art in this gallery because of uh, he wanted to work with artists that were healthy and not didn't have addictions, and he was struggling with this. And I went, "Wow, that's like a big stereotype right there," yeah. you know. Um, so I think that's another of the issues uh, is just stereotypes regarding artists themselves. And, um, well, know, they also like... Examples sitting right beside me here of healthy artists. <laughs> well, the reliability, like they also to a lot of galleries want an artist that they can rely on and um, mm -hmm. that's what they're worried about. Mainly, I guess they would say a healthy artist, but uh, if, like, like I said before, I got any grants or any, any projects, um, I had to like build my name up and build a notoriety where I could be trusted. And once I was trusted, now I can, I can make a phone call right now and get somebody to send me $1,000, no problem, when before I couldn't get that. Yeah. So you have to get your notoriety to be in. Yeah. I think it's also an issue if the art gallery doesn't currently have patrons that are looking for indigenous art in the gallery, and then the art is just gonna sit there, and then mm -hmm. the artist doesn't get paid for months, years, and sometimes yeah, yeah. that's a struggle too. Um, is there enough places, I guess, that would, where people can buy Indigenous art? Like I know there's maybe one or two places in Calgary that you can actually just go and even if it's just prints or, but there's not a lot of, I don't see a lot of places with Indigenous art for sale, is that? Um, yeah, that's another big thing. Like there's only a few galleries, um, depending on where you are. Like uh, Edmonton has a few um, Native art galleries, almost the same as Calgary, not too many, but the different regions you go, like you go to Toronto, there's more native art galleries. You go down to the States, there's a gallery, native gallery on every corner. But <laughs> you know what I mean? It just depends on the region you are, right? Yeah. Also too, in the States, they they honor all their artists, right? And it's easier for their up and coming artists to make a living because there's a, a community of artists. Yeah. Here, there's no community of artists. We're building a community of artists right now. Wow. There's a very nice collection at um, Alberta branded in the Alberta Legislature building there, and uh, if there's any um, Indigenous artists or Métis artists or uh, listening to this call, um, they do calls for artists all the time, or not all the time, but every now and then. Um, and so I'd invite you to look them up. Okay. I uh, will we'll open it up to if anybody has any questions. Just raise your hand, and, and my daughter will come around and give you the mic, but and we'll just keep talking until some, oh, is there a question back there? Okay, we'll head back there. Oh. Hi, um, my name's Florence Schoen, and I came from Edmonton this morning, uh, primarily to see Alex Jambier, also to come here and listen to you guys speak, so thank you very much. I'm an artist, and I'm an emerging artist. 
So um, I guess I just wanted to kind of comment. Not really comment, but I just agree with what you guys were saying about how hard it is to, to kind of get your foot in the door if you're an emerging artist. I didn't go to art school. I paint. Uh, I can't stop being an artist. Like, all my money goes to supplies. I don't really show my art <laughs> because, you know, there's nowhere to show it. Like, there's one gallery in Edmonton, which is Bear Claw. There used to be Sun and Moon, but it went under. So, like, this whole, like, I really admire what you guys are doing. Like, I'm always looking on Facebook and, you know, and you're always set up here and there, Caleb, and I just think, wow, like, I wish there was something like that in Edmonton, you know, like, uh, you know, like a collaboration of artists where we can kind of support each other. And I am looking into that call out. Um, it's actually coming up. You can up join our community. You're welcome. Yeah, it's a quick drive. <laughs> so anyways, uh, I just wanted to say that. So thank you, because I'm running off to see Alex now. But. Awesome. Uh, and, and if anybody has any specific questions for anybody up here, feel free. Um, oh, is there another question? Is there another question back there? No? Okay. Um, so I guess I, we're going to try to start wrapping it up a little bit. Um, oh, there's another, oh there's another question. Go ahead. It's not really a question, though. Go ahead. Um, I just want to say uh, I think it's a great idea that people are talking about getting an art collaborative together here in Calgary. Uh, many years ago, there was the Calgary Aboriginal Arts Awareness Society that Joan Cardinal Schubert was uh, the chair of, and I was part of that board, and that was a really awesome society. Um, it was uh, an advocate group for Aboriginal artists here in Calgary, um, and it was a nonprofit as well, too. So that's food for thought. Um, I think like up in Nunavut, uh, they have a Aboriginal art cooperative as well too so that's a possibility you know different indigenous artists getting together and and getting a co-op going um yeah so i just wanted to bring that up dorsey i wonder if i could just add yeah. there's one other i hope opportunity and will be guided by um, the community uh, calgary arts development just brought together an indigenous artist advisory circle and the first thing that we asked for their help on was to create an Indigenous artist grant program. It's called the Original People's Investment Program. And we'll launch that in the fall. But all of it from the guidelines to the application process to the assessment process and who decides will be guided by this advisory. And my hope is that the advisory will continue beyond that. I, I hope that the rest of our grant programs, for example, change because of the guidance and the advice we receive. Um, we are open to possibilities, so if uh, a community of Indigenous artists needs a meeting space in the downtown, come use our boardroom. Um, I don't care what you do in it, I, but it's about creating community. So. Um, please contact us if you would like to have things, suggestions that we can make to the advisory, perhaps be a part of the advisory at some point, um, and then we, we go from there. Awesome, yeah, go ahead, Jim. I, I would just like to add to that for the Calgary Foundation as well. We're, we're constantly trying to work with uh, many great projects, and so for any artists out there, we are trying to uh, respond to our systems and make our application process um, as easy as possible. We have, for community grants, I mean, it has to be associated to an organization with a charitable number. You have to be considered a designated donee. But uh, we're more than happy to sit down with artists to see if you have a great project for community and if it uh, falls into one of our areas. Actually, it doesn't even have to fall into one of our areas. We consider ourselves a 360-degree funder, which meaning we, we'll look at any kind of application. But I would offer the same invitation, Patty, for the Calgary Foundation, just to contact us to see if you want to have a further discussion on how we can support the great work that's happening. Awesome. Um, and I just, I guess we're, we're getting short on time, but I just wanted to wrap up, and I don't know if we just want to go through the panel again, if anybody's got some final comments about because uh, what I want people to take away from this is what can they do, walk out of this room and, okay, what does that mean to them now? How do they move forward and, I guess, progress decolonizing the arts in this case? 
So um, I really appreciate what these artists have to say and to be so honest about the barriers and the challenges that they face. I think there's uh, so Cindy Blackstock does a lot of advocacy work for children. And she said that there's this dichotomy that exists of the savage and the civilized. The savage being indigenous people, the civilized being non-indigenous people. We really need to break that dichotomy. And in order to do that, we need to kind of dig deep into this context that's missing and why this thought pattern exists in the first place about the indigenous community, that we're lazy, we're not reliable, you know, we're, we want, we're not honest and, and all that kind of stuff. And the other thing about the indigenous people is we're humble. So it's, I can imagine it's hard for an artist to kind of talk about what they have achieved and accomplished because that's not what we're taught to do. We're taught to be humble and stay humble. So there needs to be all of the, this context setting and, and truth telling and that conversation, that dialogue has to be hosted between indigenous people, the arts community and all that kind of stuff. We just have to really get rid of our, um, what we have been taught to believe about the indigenous community. I think, in general. Um, I think there's two things that come to mind immediately. One is if you're, if you're someone who's not familiar with um, uh, any of the forms of, of indigenous or native art that you've heard about today, at Google any one of these artists and you'll see a whole body of wonderful work. Um, the Glenbo Museum just opened an exhibition last night featuring 60 years of work by Alex Jambier and it is spectacular. And I think um, when, you hear, when you see the descriptions and you see the work, it starts to connect how 15,000 years of a history has been in, is being expressed through this voice. Um, so there are those things. And then I think it's also, um, I hope that Calgary Arts Development is as I said, an accomplice, that we are about reconciliation. And I don't know. So I hope that uh, we are a place where you can feel welcome to come and tell me if you think maybe there's a better way for us to do this. Or through the Indigenous Artist Advisory, that there might be an artist on that circle that could work with you. We have three elders who are also a part of that circle. So we're really trying to make this as much of a learning journey for us. And I worry sometimes that I'm the grantor, and therefore I don't want to tell them something they're doing wrong. And I guess all that to say, I actually know I'm doing stuff wrong, and I'm trying to figure out what to do that is right. And I don't have the answer, so I would welcome that input. Uh, first, the first thing I wanted to say, to say is that I'm, I'm really glad we're having this conversation. Mm. Um, and to have all of these wonderful people on the panel. Um, I'm also very um, glad to participate in the Wild Rose United Church's awesome art festival. Mm -hmm that honors and respects Indigenous artists. And I'm in, I hope there will be more festivals like this because this really helps um, to introduce all these different forms of artwork to the general population. And I think we need that more than anything. I think that is one of the best ways to decolonize um, Indigenous art. Um. The question was like, when just I what can people do walking away from this conversation to, I guess, promote decolonization moving forward, or or what can they, what can their impact be? Um, I guess go out and engage yourself in our in our culture, learn as much as you can, be genuine when it comes to that, uh, support it if you can. And I, I think education, educating yourself about our people is probably the most, the most important thing. Uh, the more you know about our people, the more, the more better the relationship gets between non-Indigenous and Indigenous people. I always, I, I always hear people, they're always angry, they're always saying they're angry at the, the white people, but nowadays it has nothing to do with the color of skin, it's, it's the mentality. Um, you can be native or you can be Chinese, black, white, but if you carry that mentality, the mentality that colonized our people, that is the mentality that I feel that people need to steer away from. And I think that when people educate their, 
their selves on our people. They, uh, they slowly decolonize the mind and they become, they have a better relationship with themselves and spirit and they start to have a better relationship between non-Indigenous and Indigenous people of Canada. So I think that would probably be the best step is educating themselves. Uh, there's one thing like, I, I know that uh, uh, he was saying that uh, our people, we're proud and we're very humble people. Uh, and I used to always see all these pictures of our people carrying pipes uh, in the pictures and wearing their colors and stuff. And I, I started asking asking around about that to, to some of my elders. And they said, well, a long time ago, we were we were very proud people. Uh, we would You would walk around the tribe and you would be able to look at somebody and you knew exactly what society that person was part of, what pipe that carry, person carried, what bundle that person carried what war they went through. You, you knew everything by but just looking at them with their outfit. And then colonialism came to our people and they told our people that we were show-offs, but really we were proud. And we would talk about, of our, about our, compliment, our accomplishments and we would tell people about it and we would, we would go around and we would tell everybody in the tribe about this. But through colonialization, they told our people that we need to humble ourselves and that we were show-offs and we, we weren't to be like that. So we were told to humble ourselves. But in reality, we were very proud people. So that was a part of decolonization. And I think the other step is being very proud of who you are and being very proud of your accomplishments. I think it would be a little hard right now to walk around wearing your medallions and your outfits and stuff because I don't think people are ready for that quite yet. But there was a time that we were like that. So educate yourselves. Wonderful. Just keep supporting the arts, native art. Um, we're all human beings. Nice. Yeah, the only thing that I uh, really have to add to everyone else's <laughs> great answers really is um, for me, uh, colonialism comes down to, um, you know, a triad of things really. Um, it comes down to dispossession, dependency and oppression. And it's, um, and those things haven't gone away. So one of the first steps, you know, in terms of this education for me is to have non, non-Indigenous people realize that, that um, we live in a shared reality and, the reality and these things aren't just things from the past. They're alive and well right now today. Lands and Indigenous peoples are still being dispossessed from their lands. Uh, dependency is being created because of that. And this is all, um, you know, within this, uh, you, know, you know, existing within this very much alive and a well sphere or mentality of oppression um, with racism very much a part of that. So that's very alive and well. And I know Canadians really don't like to look at themselves that way through those lenses. Um, but uh, a lot of this work needs some, some courage to start identifying how these things are being alive and a well in each of our own families, organizations, uh, ways of life. Uh, and, and it's gonna, if we follow those threads, it's gonna take us through some really, you know, dark, ugly kinds of things. But if, and, and so you don't have to do it if you don't want to, but if you're really serious about the work and, and you really actually do wanna do something a little bit different, I think that, it, um, that uh, having the courage to start seriously identifying how your organizations and ways of life and um, uh, families, communities, so on and so forth, still contribute to this day to dispossession, dependency, and oppression. Um, that that would be uh, that would go a long way. Wonderful, well, that's awesome. I, I want to thank all the panelists for being here. Tim had to leave a little bit early, but I want to thank you guys for being here. Um, I'm going to get this podcast up tomorrow, and it'll be on iTunes. It'll be uh, on Google Play, whatever you want to listen to. Um, and we also it'll be on our Facebook at the uh, Métis Podcast. So if you guys want to hear it, listen, or you want to share it with friends, please do so. Uh, but I want to thank everybody for being here. It was great. And I hope everybody else enjoyed it. So thanks. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. And I hope you guys got maybe some insight.
for those of you in the arts world or, or in any world, really, take these topics and, and things that were discussed back to the organizations you're involved in and see how you can maybe, you know, affect change in within your organization to be more inclusive and more equitable when it comes to Indigenous art or Indigenous anything, really. Um, so I want to thank everybody that was there, all the panelists. They were wonderful and I want to thank them for their input, their insights. I want to thank everybody that organized and volunteered for this event. Uh, it was an amazing event, and I wish you guys could have all been there. I had a lot of fun. My daughter had a lot of fun. So, I, again, just a, an, an absolute thank you to everybody involved. If you guys enjoyed this show and you want to get more stories and, and more of the interviews that we do, uh, head over to our Patreon page. The link will be in the description. And for as little as $5 a month, you can gain access to all the, the exclusive content that we put up there. But for as low as a dollar a month, you will start getting the rewards that are listed on that Patreon page as well. Uh, one of the big rewards that I, I want to keep pushing is, is the fact that we're going to plant trees for people. So for 10 bucks a month, every single month that you donate 10 bucks a month, we're going to plant a tree um, in a what was an old cut block, and we're trying to... We're we're trying to bring back the species of tree that was native to that pop to that area. Um, they've tree they've reseeded it with trees, but only one type of tree. And as we know, that is not how forests work. There is not one type of tree in, in especially in Alberta. So we're trying to put it back to the way it was, and we'd like your help. So for ten bucks a month, that's what we're planning on doing. Um, and but you can see all the rewards that we have on those pages. Uh, anything over ten dollars, we're still going to plant a tree. You just get more rewards. So I appreciate you guys going over and checking that out. Uh, we also, I just want to say we have a new website up. If you want to go to www.metipodcast.ca, then you can check out our website. Uh, it's got, it'll have all the latest episodes there, plus it has our Twitter feed and a few other things there. You can sign up for our email list if you want to get on our email list. You can check out our blog, all sorts of things there. So uh, check that out, and we appreciate your support. We appreciate your help. And until Tuesday, the jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses. A fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light. No more living in darkness. Our time now.